destino para ti lo que viniera de ti. Welcome to the Inside the Journey for Sunday, November 30th, 2014. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And I'm John Younger. We are the team behind the upcoming documentary film, Identifying Nelson Buscando a Roberto. To learn more about the film and sign up for updates, head on over to inbarfilm.com. That's I-N-B-A-R film.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out The Advocate Experience. This is a program we've been running for a few months where you can actually help us shape the film. You get access to behind-the-scenes material, special updates every two weeks, and opportunities to provide feedback on our work. We have a great group of people already participating, and if you're at all interested, we would love for you to be a part of it. In this episode, John and I sit down with a friend of mine, Julie J.C. Miller, and talk about her search, the importance of owning the process, and some other helpful resources. Now on with the show. Our guest today is Julie Miller, who is a friend of mine that I've met. Uh, she is a Salvadoran adoptee, and we connected a few years ago. Uh, and she is here today to talk to us about her search and some of the resources out there that people might not be aware of. So, Julie, welcome, and thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you. Yeah, great to have you, Julie. Nice to be here. So I think that the best place to start is just uh, with a little bit of background about your story, about your life here in the U.S., and kind of your decision to start looking for your family. Well, um, like you said, I was adopted from El Salvador back in 1980 with the help of the Congressman Nick Mavrulis in Massachusetts. He was the 6th District Representative. My mother, Sylvia K. Miller, was able to bring me to this country and adopt me through an organization um, called Salem Adoption Associates for All Children. Unfortunately, when I was when I arrived, I was malnutritioned and not much was brought with me about my history, my parents. So I grew up wondering who I was, where I came from, like many of the adoptees. My mother was white, I was brown. Did you grow up in Salem, Massachusetts? I was a, I was raised in Hamilton Wenham. My mother was a teacher there. And where, um, where was that? Hamilton Wenham. We lived in Beverly, Massachusetts, and okay. I was brought up in Hamilton Wenham because she was a teacher there. So gotcha. it was a quiet little little town and um, affluent, affluent and uh, very white. So, of course, I stuck out. And I learned to get used to that. But, uh, in, like I was saying, as a, when I was a teenager, there was an article in the Boston Globe by Stephen Farron, I don't even know how you say his name, Farron Naru. He had written about El Salvador and the reality of the disappeared children. And my mother was actually the one who brought it to him to me, the attention to me and said, do you want to search? And as a teenager and wondering where I'd come from, I said, yes, sure, of course. And so with her help, we sent the little information I knew of myself down to El Salvador to Probuscada. Back then, the office was very small. And we waited. We didn't know 
what will come of it, and we could just, you know, sit and wait. Unfortunately, though, I think my story got lost within the cracks because many years went by from 1996, excuse me, and um, it wasn't until the fall of 2006 that another article with the uh, Salem Statement, the college I went to, Salem State College, had an alumni paper. And that's where I came along across Suzanne's story. It also had an article written by Robert McAndrews. And so because I was an alumni of Salem State, I was able to have that paper delivered to my house. And uh, so I contacted Robert McAndrews, and he helped me revive my probosca case, which was very, very nice of him to help me and be very supportive in that aspect because by then I was really on my own in this search. My mother's always been very supportive, but I was get coming of age that I was more of an adult and having to deal with these these realizations on my own. So that's why I say I was on my own. The, there was a period about 10 years there uh, where you didn't really hear anything. Did you lose hope or did you just think that, you know, it was ta- they were still working in the background and it just takes long or like... What were you thinking during that time period? Because that's a long time to kind of go um, yeah. wondering, you know, what, what's happening. Yes, yes. It was a long period of time. And unfortunately, if I'd known then, excuse me, what I know now about being proactive about my search and how I need to be the one to push it forward, I don't think there would have been that time frame, that span of time frame. But then again, also, I was a teenager, and it was just kind of one of those things. You know, you throw it out there, and you're like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, yes, I do wonder, but I'm not – I've got college things to look forward to. I'm, you know, growing up and trying to, you know, get a job and, you know, dealing with a car and all of those wonderful younger adult issues that were taking over my life, and this kind of got pushed to the side. So it was always with me. And unfortunately, nobody told me I I should have been more proactive about it or tried to contact Provoskita, what would you say, like again and again and again, um, just to like to reiterate, yes, I am still interested in searching. Are you looking for my, you know, family, you know? Yeah, checking in. Of that nature, just checking in, I guess, yes, that would be exactly the... And following the, up. and Yes, yeah. following up. I think you make a great point in that, you know, we have these lives here and we're not really thinking about this other life in Central America. And you have your priorities and you're right, like school and, and work and cars and, you know, all of this stuff kind of gets put on the back burner. So I don't think it's something you should feel bad about uh, because, you know, life gets in the way with a lot of things, but it's easy to see how it would take so long for this search to, to just keep going. Right. And um, they just, I think the, also the part 
when when I had originally sent my information down in 1996, Probuscada, there was nobody that spoke English, and we did try to call down there, and it was frustrating to communicate. And I think that's also one thing that led me to have sort of a blockage of communication, like less of a ability to communicate with them, and created that time frame of many years between. And I'm just very lucky that I was given the opportunity to have a second chance when I found Suzanne's article. And Rob McAndrews spoke English and knew the ways of Probuscada and was able to connect me with the now, you know, representatives of Probuscada that did speak English and could help me um, in furthering my case along. So that would lead me to the 2008 of March where they found, they called me, and Provost could have said they had found my father's family. Wow. And that was overwhelmingly amazing to me when they told me that they were down the road from the, the organization. They were only around the corner. And it made me wonder. I must have fallen through the cracks. I really must have. And I can imagine they have so many cases. So um, I was just very fortunate to get that second chance from Robert McAndrews and his article that he wrote along with Suzanne's story. So it's funny, Suzanne's story. Nelson also saw that in the newspaper and and called her up and and you know it's something he talks about sometimes in the podcast because it was uh it was just so amazing to him to find somebody else from Boston and. Well, just a, just another adoptee that was searching for their family. You know, it's um, I, I tell people that in the U.S. there are only, I think, something like 50 cases of uh, adoptees being reunited with your family. So it can be quite isolating. And to find another person out there that's like you, that's been through this, is um, uh, you're, you're sort of drawn to them. And that was actually something that I was going to ask you about, and, and that is, um, you know, so you read Suzanne's story, and I, I forget how we got in touch, but I think it was through Rob McAndrews. But, you know, what was it like? Hey, we, to, should, we should just let people know there's there's a previous podcast with Rob McAndrews. There's two, oh, actually. Yes. <laughs> and he's a, he's a professor at Salem. <laughs> if people are interested, they should definitely check out those interviews as well. Yep, and we'll have a link to that, as always. And, and so I guess my, my question, Julie, is simply, what was it like for you to uh, meet and connect with other Salvadoran adoptees? It was wonderful. It's almost like a, like a best friend you've, al you've always had because everything you say, they understand, and it's amazing to me. Um, when I connected with you, I think we talked for – three or four hours or something like that. And yeah, it was I know a long that I had a lot of, you know, I think I did most of the talking that, that time. And since then I've connected with other adoptees where it's been the opposite, where they've connected and they've done most of the talking. And I've just kind of, it brings up all of these emotions and all these feelings and all of these memories of your own story because it's so close. Their, their journeys are so closely 
similar to yours that it's able to like deja vu almost and it's wonderful but it's also exhausting and so I now understand what you meant when you said you know you got off the phone with me and you were just like I just need a break <laughs> <laughs> I'm like yeah I understand now what are you talking about I mean it's wonderful but it's a lot because you're going through all of those emotions of happiness and sadness and anger and just everything through them as well as through your own story all at once when you connect with them that's why I'm saying it's like a best friend that you always had just never knew of and it's wonderful in that sense that you're bonded so closely but it's also hard it's like a double-edged sword because there's a point to which you get with friendships and the adoption friendships that one of you will go one way and another will go another like your story is already formed and you know you have you've met your family and you have your father and your mother and whereas I'm still waiting so I'm not you know, I yes I've met my father's family but I'm still also waiting for my mother's family you know so I don't have that completion so some things you have I don't and it's it's like you have to stop yourself from reaching out for those things that you don't have to the people that do have them because it it hurts unnecessarily it's the only way I can explain it mm. Mm -hmm. well I think yeah you're right I mean when I uh, when we talked for the first time I remember just sort of being completely emotionally drained at the end and as you say, I mean, it's a good thing because um, we were connecting and I was trying to share with you some of my experiences, but it's like reliving 16 years of uh, the good and the bad and everything in between. And it's just, it's a lot to take in at once. So that is, that's part of the reason why it can be so emotionally draining or uh, you sort of have this emotional roller coaster, but yeah. Yes. My next question for you is, why do you think the work that Pro-B does, uh, Pro-Buscada, why do you think that's so important? From my standpoint of view, it's still very, very prevalent for the fact that I still have a mother out there somewhere and possibly relatives on her side. Um, I think it's important for any of the other families that were affected by the war in this way that are still searching that might not know here in the US or all over the world for that matter. The Commission National de Busqueda El Salvador does the same work and Unfortunately, the two are not linked and they built to work together, but are both resources for us children or adults that were adopted, as well as the families that were affected and 
lost children or left the country during the time of the war after they lost children. It, it's, it's sad. It's very sad and it's very important to get the word out for both organizations so that those that were affected can have some resolution. I mean, even if I can't have resolution, I would hope that somebody else could because I wouldn't want anyone to have to go through unnecessarily unnecessary hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, something we've talked about before on on the podcast that the forced disappearances in some way are uh, really difficult. It, it is we said a punishment worse than death. I think is what we said at one point, or maybe I said. Because it does, there's no closure. It, it just it keeps going on, and you're constantly missing loved ones and and uh, wondering who else is out there. And it it is difficult because you know even with my own story, there are elements of it that we don't know the answers to still, and we may never know the answers to. And it's always this question of how much do you want to dig up how much you want to keep going and risk finding out something that you really don't want to know or finding out something that's extremely difficult to deal with so you know the it, it's not just that you're separated from your family and that you're adopted there are all these other issues that have to do with war and forced separation and the way that you were uh, separated from your family which make the entire process so difficult I, I just want, you know, people may not have, for people that are just coming to the podcast now, I just wanted to point out a little bit of the history, which is that um, Julie had mentioned the two different organizations, ProBuskita, um, which has been searching for people as soon as it was, it was safe to do so after the war, so since the early 90s, and uh, it was started by the families of the disappeared as well as a priest John Cortina and Ralph Sprinkles, who we were also fortunate enough to interview and who had a lot to do with helping to solve Nelson's case. And then more recently, in 2011, I believe, maybe it could have been 2010, but when we went down to El Salvador, the government had just started a commission, Julie mentioned, that has also started to take up the search. And it's, I think it's just important for people to understand that, that the party, the political party that was founded by Roberto Dabuson, the Arena Party, which was sort of the, the right-wing party that would promise security and safety, that, that party was in power in the presidency until 2009, and, and not a lot was done officially um, and, or even acknowledged about what happened. So, you know, a lot of people disappeared in the early 80s, the war ended in the early 90s, and it wasn't until really 2009, 2010, where the country started to officially come to terms with these things. So I just wanted to bring in that timeline a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, Julie, one of the main reasons that you said you wanted to come on 
to the podcast was to share with people the fact that the uh, there is Pro Buscada, and then there is also the commission, and that there are these two resources for people to use. Uh, so what would you like to share with people about uh, those resources? And uh, what would you say to anyone who's thinking of searching for their family? Um, I would say that there, yes, there are those two resources. And to be proactive in your own search, whether you be a family member looking for a child or a child looking for a family, to, to know both the resources and to utilize them as best you can. And if you can't, if you don't speak Spanish or you have barriers like myself, which many of us do, find ways to work around them I've had to be inventive in my search. I've had to step outside my box a lot and start asking, you know, people, how do you say this in Spanish? What do you mean? Where do I go? Um, it's really brought me in contact with a lot of wonderful people and given me more abilities to handle all of what I've been given now, which is this wonderfully big family and amazing life that I'm so thankful for. Mm -hmm. But just to um, make sure they know that the two organizations do the same thing, but unfortunately they're not working together. So that job is on the person. They need to be proactive just like they need to be proactive with a dentist or with a doctor or for their child. When they start this, they need to be able to be proactive on the search for themselves, whether it's to find their baby or whether it's to find their parents. And I'm sure that whoever it is, it, though it's hard, to go back or dig up that tigger that that unresolved issues that's where you're going to find the strength to push your search forward. Mm -hmm. We were noticing uh, today on the, all these organizations have Facebook groups and the commission in fact did a, a reunion over the weekend and have, they have pictures of it. So we'll have to share those as well. Cause there are, there are some, uh, you know, there's, there are, Definitely very active and, and finding people. And this one, it looks like it was a reunion after 34 years of separation. You know, I think it's important to, to point out as well that the search and, and reunion is kind of the beginning of, of the process. 
and Julie, we've had this discussion before where, you know, I, one of the reasons that I'm able to talk so openly about my story now and do these podcasts and do a film is because I've had 15 years, 16 years of being with my family and healing some of those wounds, but it, it never, you never completely get over it. And there are certainly times when it is difficult for me to talk about and share different aspects of my story as well, even though it's been so many years. So I think it's, it's just important to say that if you're thinking about searching, if you're going to go down that path, it can be very difficult. But in that um, difficulty, you find a lot of strength. And I think you said that so well, Julie. Mm-hmm. Is um, Julie, is there anything else that you would like to share with people who might be searching, thinking of searching, or um, just anyone who wants to know more about what um, what it's like to be a disappeared child? Um. Just know that you're not alone. (laughs) Prepare for the worst. Hope for the best. But never give up. Never stop searching. Mm-hmm. I um, I don't think I could have said it better myself. Uh, so Julie, I just wanted to thank you very much for, for coming on and talking with us and sharing your story. I know that this is, you know, still very new for you in some ways, and it, it is uh, very difficult. And I, you know, I've been there as well, and it is a, a long process to heal and to um, let go of the past and, you know, find that closure. So we wish you the best in your search and your journey, and we're you know, we're always here for you and anyone else who's out there searching. Uh, if you are looking for advice or don't know what to do, you can drop us a line or um, reach out to any of the other Salvadoran adoptees. I think that um, we all are open to talking to people and, and sharing bits and pieces of our story and what's going on with us. I also wanted to say thanks and and obviously this stuff is hard to talk about and I think it takes a lot of courage and um, I hope that somebody who hears this can take a little bit of courage from, from Julie's example. So, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs>